0: What's going on everybody and welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and Pat, I can tell you this with certainty. I did not expect to sit here as we record our Villanova St. John's Big East home opener reaction pod telling you that I think this was One of, if not the most relaxed, I felt watching Villanova basketball so far this season.
1: Best win of the season? Question mark.
0: It has to be right. And you were there. What was it like?
1: It it was good. I I have to, you know, credit the the Villanova faithful and Nova Nation. There, Uh, I wasn't sure what the crowd was going to look like with it being a Wednesday night. You know, obviously it's freezing out here by by Nova six thirty tip. You know, all those things right around the holidays. A lot of different factors that went into it. It was still a packed pavilion and uh, the students as well filled up that main student section, which I was thrilled to see. So atmosphere was pretty good. It definitely got going towards the, uh, the end of the first half and especially into the second half as well. Always great to be in the pavilion and, um, you know, I, I thought it was a good crowd. And this was a really, really important win. I would say, you know, most important win of the season or best win of the season. Oklahoma, if you look at the, the Ken Palm rankings are is higher than St. John's. And that was, of course, incredibly important for this team to get back on track and start on this new direction. But to start Big e's play with a win and to start Big e's play with a win in the fashion that they did it. Whew, what, what a really important and impressive win for Kyle Neptune's bunch.
0: Yeah, and a team and against a team that was eleven and one too, a ton of momentum for St. John's coming into this matchup on the road. So seventy eight to sixty three was the final. I there just so many things went into this game. I'm so excited to talk about it, and I'm so glad that the scheduling lined up so that we could record this immediately because I think a lot of people are going to take a lot of things from this game. My one hope is that St. John's doesn't turn into the DePaul of a few seasons ago when I think they also started 11 and 0 if I'm not mistaken
1: <laughs> I think you might be
0: right and then completely combusted down the stretch St. John's is obviously much more talented than that DePaul team was a few years ago but definitely not a uh an inspiring performance from the Johnnies on the flip side though the most confident I felt about this Villanova team coming off again this dominant win they beat they beat um Boston College up pretty good but against a really strong caliber opponent like St. John's, this is the most confident I felt about Nova.
1: Exactly. The BC game was, was important. It was solid that they played well. The freshmen really carried it, but that BC team is terrible Um, with all due respect to the ACC. Yeah. uh, They did take Virginia
0: tech to overtime tonight. They did.
1: They did. Uh, They they are pretty bad. Uh, St. John's I do think is a good team and I do think is a tournament team. However, you kind of saw part of what we talked about on Tuesday, where Villanova is not Merrimack and LIU, where which is basically the teams that St. John's have played thus far this season. We we know that they have one of the the weakest strength of schedules thus far in the country, and I, I think a, a little bit of that showed. Now St. John still played pretty similar to how we expected them to. Just Villanova did a wonderful job at a really locking things down from three quarters of the way through the first half through the end of that game.
0: Yeah. If we could just wipe the first 10 minutes of this game out of memory, I think that would benefit everybody. It was 24 14 St. John's after the first quarter, the first 10 minutes of play. But if you look at that box from there on out, I think you feel pretty damn good about the, the way that Villanova adjusted. I think actually our preview is pretty perfect to what actually transpired in this game. Hmm. Besides the fact that I thought Villanova would lose, but moving on.
1: I said they would win. By the way, you did call
0: it, and we did a we did a little pick-em with all of the Villanova content creators out there, like the guys from Full Forty and the Attitude Podcast, and Chris from Tip Time and Tommy from Vu Hoops. I was the only person who thought that Villanova was going to lose this game. So, wow,
1: not really? great,
0: but I'm happy being wrong in this case because Villanova showed a lot of promise. I think a lot of national folks or even just Big East conference people leave this game thinking oh, Villanova might be back. And I'm kind of leaning into that, riding the five-game win streak now.
1: I, I feel very good coming out of that game now. Of course, there, there are many difficult games to come up, probably none more so difficult than the one next Wednesday uh, in stores, though Georgetown most certainly gave those Huskies a run for their money uh, earlier in the week here. For St. John's, I I think you're right. They did play pretty similarly to to what we thought they would. The only thing I would say is they shot more threes Mm -hmm. than I had predicted they would. They'd had 25 shot attempts. They only made six of them, which is 24% there. So I do think Anderson in a way schemed that he was comfortable taking a decent amount of threes. But to kind of the point that we had talked to earlier... I'm okay if St. John's takes a ton of threes. They're the second worst three-point shooting team in the conference. And they shot under their percentage. I believe they're at 31% for the season. They shot 24% on the night. Now in the first half at one point, I believe they're at like 50%, which was not ideal. But after that, things, A, started to even out a little bit for the Johnnies from beyond the arc. And David Jones kept shooting threes, which called out as a key on Tuesday. That was something Villanova wanted to have happen. And it did have happen. Uh, as well as I thought Villanova's perimeter defense Did get a little bit better, led by Brandon Slater, who we will talk more about on this show, but I firmly believe Brandon Slater was the best player on the floor tonight.
0: Wow. Over Dixon, who had 18 points. I like that thought. Yeah, Yeah, frankly, Villanova just was the better team in the final 30 minutes of this game. The talent showed out. I think opposing teams taking more three-point shots than normal is something that we can come to expect a little bit, just because... Villanova's three point defense has been so poor mm-hmm. so far up to this season. But to that defense's credit, law of like back to the regression, St. John's started shooting poorly again. And Villanova's man to man defense was good on Wednesday night. It really was. They were able to limit a St. John's offense that was averaging 80 points coming into this game to 63. And that was actually more than I thought based on shooting 24% from three and 36% from the floor and 50% from the free throw line. They only had six attempts. So just a truly an abysmal offensive night for St. John's. And I think Villanova's defense can learn a lot from this performance.
1: Grow. Yeah, the, the low 60s number there, St. John's at 63, has kind of been... Villanova's number defensively since Cam Whitmore came back where teams are averaging right around there. So I I think that's very, very important as we get into the teeth of conference play to see defensively things start to improve. It was not great early on. St. John's got a lot of good looks, which is a part of why they were able to go out to that nice lead uh, through the first 10 minutes of the game. But things really did clamp down. And I don't think Villanova made too many adjustments. It just defended better uh in in that really second portion of the first half and of course down the stretch there i i do bring up brandon slater uh i know he had zero steals if you're just looking at the box score he was everywhere on defense he had his hand in passing lanes he made things really difficult for the the st john's guards as well as jones to be able to get some good looks there I, i was super impressed with him and then Hello, Jordan Longino, welcome Mm -hmm. back to the main line, because yes, offensively, this was the best we've seen Longino in probably a month, maybe more, Uh, but defensively, again, everywhere on the floor, show that athleticism, show that anticipation, moved his feet really, really well, did not get into foul trouble, which can sometimes be a problem with him. That's not even talking about the offensive side of the game. So I loved what I saw out of Slater and Longino, and I thought those two really led the charge here for Villanova defensively
0: yeah, I just glanced at it briefly, but Tommy Godin from V hoops got a nice quote from Neptune in the postgame presser, which was something along the lines of when he's healthy, we thought coming into the season Longino could be one of the best players we have on this roster. And mm-hmm. I think he showed that potential again. And of course, we'll never we'll probably never know how much this injury has been affecting him but, but this was certainly something to get excited about because we saw the the versions of past games where Longino can really impact a game and the other thing that's funny is you were looking more you were looking for more out of the defense mm-hmm. in this game against St. John's, and I was looking more from the offense. And I think we both leave pretty happy, right? I, I, <laughs> I mean, would, yeah. You're happy because they limited a St. John's a good St. John's team on offense to 63 points. Another thing is I hope people don't walk away from this game thinking, wow, St. John's really stinks. They did in this <laughs> game, but Curbelo and Posh have been much better than their three from a three for eleven and three for twelve field goal attempts show. Same with David Jones and same with Math Mathis and uh, Adewusu off the bench too. So I credit this a lot more to the defense. And then the on the offense, the best way I can describe it is just a team effort. Every four out of the five key players, off the bench included, scored in double figures. So just so many positives from this game. I feel like we're, we're jumbling them up because we just can't get enough positivity out of our mouths right now.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree that there are a ton of positives out of this here. I, I think a part of it too, for Villanova's defensive game plan, they were comfortable with David Jones shooting threes. They were comfortable with Posh Alexander shooting jumpers. That's fine. That's not their games though. Both those guys, Posh doesn't take as many shots, but but Jones we know lays into those threes and and Posh can sometimes be looking for that jumper. Posh is the best defender in the conference, bar anyone. Uh, no one is, is on his level. We saw that he was a real nuisance uh, against Nova again tonight. But but scoring really isn't his forte. He can do it. He can hurt you. We've seen him do it before. But when he's forced to kind of carry a little bit more of a load, it doesn't. You know, it's it, he's just he's not that type of player. We look at Villanova offensively. To your point. I liked how things progressed. I did not like how the game started because they came out firing the threes, which we all know how I feel about that thus far this season. But on the offensive side of the ball, they really changed things up and became incredibly aggressive and really got in the lane there. Again, it is not a coincidence that Villanova shot 17 free throws in this game because they were more aggressive, much more aggressive than the St. Joe's game. They made 16 of those as this team continues to be lights out from the line. And we mentioned Jordan Longino, you know, we talked about his defense offensively. I really hope this is the game that Longino looks back at and says, okay, that's the type of player I am Mm -hmm. a slasher to get to the hoop. He made some mid-range jumpers. He likes his mid-range jumpers. He only took one three. He flashed the quickness. I, I loved everything about what I saw, and especially the change in offensive game plan there. Nov only shot 19 threes, and we've talked about it before. You know, 19 or low 20s, I think I'm comfortable with that. It's when it goes above that, I really don't like what the approach is.
0: Yeah, a ton of good points there. Longino is too athletic and efficient around the rim to be doing anything other than that. So I completely agree with you there. And you segued perfectly into the little math I did before this podcast here. So it's it's the three-pointers. It's something that you talked about on Tuesday's episode about St. John's and Villanova adjusting to each other. Villanova outperformed St. John's from two in this game, which isn't something I expected because Soriano is one of the best players in the conference so far. So for Dixon to be able to hold his own and actually dominate in that quarter category was really impressive. But now going back to the three. Across the season, when Villanova attempts less than 30 three-pointers a game, the team is 6-2. 36, 41, and 31. That's how many three-point attempts the team took against Iowa State, Portland, and Oregon, mm-hmm. respectively. Those are the three losses in the in the PK Invitational. In its five-game winning streak, is averaging 26 three-pointers a game. So I literally tweeted this and I wrote, I think this is the quote-unquote sweet spot that you and I have been talking about and hoping for this season. That might be even a little higher than you want. I'm in the 20 to 25 range. They've been doing 26. But they're just so much better when they're able to drive, when they need a bucket and they're able to get that. That's something you were talking about Mm -hmm. on Tuesday too. Slater didn't get to the line as much as he needed to against St. Joe's when things were a little bit risky down the stretch. Villanova closed in this game. The offense showed up and they did everything right without relying too much on the three.
1: So you're saying we might be onto something with this whole three point thing we've been talking about this year.
0: And it helps when you shoot almost 50% from the floor, but I think it's putting all the pieces together and winning in different ways and Winning in different ways is definitely something this team has grown good at over the last few games.
1: You, you talk about winning in different ways too. I I thought I saw a ghost out there on the floor. Did Villanova ran in transition.
0: Oh, don't even. This I game. can't I'm even wait. talk about him. Too excited. What?
1: What? what? Were Villanova's allowed to do that? <laughs> I I was I, of course I'm I'm joking here, but was was very happy to see it. There there are two instances that that really you know come to mind. The first one is the play that I think a lot of us will take away from this game, kind of the the two-on-one with Caleb and Mark Armstrong, where they they passed the ball very well and got Armstrong an open look uh, for a, a big dunk down on one end. And the other one, Chris Archdiakono, who, again, played very solid, only took the one field goal attempt, wasn't too involved in the offense, but I thought defensively played very well and moved the ball very well on offense as a, as a lead distributor. Uh, he also ran and pushed the pace uh, for Nova to be able to find an easy bucket there. We did discuss it, you know, on Tuesday, Villanova was never going to win this game by fighting fire with fire Mm -hmm. with with St. John's and how they approach their possessions, but being able to be opportunistic when those situations arise, because St. John's does take so many shots and so many not great shots and allows for longer rebounds and they take risks. So maybe you can get a jump of passing lane and find something. Nova did that, and then they took advantage of it, which is something they they don't always do. So I was thrilled to see that. And again, that's a new dimension. I, this Villanova team is never going to be a team that's about high-flying track meet. But if they're able to find a couple plays a game where they can go out and get an easy bucket for it, I, I think that'd be huge.
0: Totally agree. And I actually think Daniel's involvement in that two-on-one play is kind of underrated because he could have gotten hacked before oh, yeah. he passed that ball. So for him to be able to stand in there and make that perfect pass was... Amazing to watch. I thought coming into this game that turnovers would move the needle for either team. Whoever Mm -hmm. created more turnovers and was able to score off of them would win in my mind. I don't have the points off of turnovers numbers in front of me right now. But St. John's only committed one more turnover than Villanova did. 12 for St. John's, 11 for Villanova. 11 is high for this team. I didn't think it was particularly troubling, especially because seven of them came from Daniels and Whitmore. But... I think the way, the the words you use, opportunistic, is the perfect way to put it because this team stuck to its own identity. They didn't fight fire with fire. They let St. John's make their own mistakes by applying good defense and forcing them into bad shots. And you could see the frustration from Mike Anderson on the sidelines and from the players themselves. I understand that Villanova basketball is a unique entity in all of college basketball, but I have... I was going to say never, maybe I'll say (laughs) rarely, seen a team look as frustrated as St. John's did at times. They actually gave Villanova wide open looks because they just gave up on the play. They didn't feel like playing defense anymore because they were so mad on somebody losing a look or losing their guy on the other side of the floor in the previous possession. So that was weird to see, to say the least. But I just think Villanova did a really good job of staying, playing their own game, letting St. John's make their own mistakes and then really just riding out their own momentum. And that's when they they were able to get the lead up to 17, 15 and and close out the way they did.
1: We mentioned it, like, do not underestimate the importance of this game to St. John's going into it. Because yes, they rode in at 11 and one, but as we said, the the strength of those wins, there was not a lot behind it uh, going into it. So for St. John's to have the opportunity to go on the road here, after they took took DePaul just apart in that first conference game, play Villanova and really establish themselves was a big deal. And they came out firing, but things fizzled out pretty quickly for St. John's. I I still I, I know it's how they play, but man, it's crazy to see them try not try, but actually throw up shots within the first six to nine or 10 seconds of a of the shot clock every single time. It, it really is their game to try and push tempo. And you talk about Villanova winning at their own game, the, the easiest way I can even quantify that in this Villanova had more made field goals than St. John's 28 compared to 27 St. John's took 16 more field goal attempts, 75 to 59. So the Johnny's they ran, they put up shots as as many shots as they could, but a lot of those didn't fall, especially a lot of them from deep while Villanova just kind of played their game and there they go. They finished at 48%.
0: Quality over quantity.
1: (laughs) That's exactly what you saw in this game.
0: And AJ Sora is actually a really nice piece for the Johnnies. Yeah, he was six for nine. He shot well. We're just going to see different versions of Posh and Curbelo when Villanova goes to MSG to play St. John's, I think. So I'm still a little bit worried about that matchup. And, and just to clarify in my own head, I guess, about Villanova sticking to their own guns, they did take fewer three-point attempts than were accustomed to. So I think they adjusted well to what St. John's defense was giving them by driving more. And that's mm-hmm. where you saw Dixon's game take off. I'm going to stick with Dixon as my player of the game just because Soriano is such a formidable opponent. When I see Dixon play that well against Soriano – I have fewer worries about how he's going to fare against Sunogo and, and Klingon uh, against UConn on Wednesday night. The way he was able to dominate the post, he went left. We all knew he was going left and he's <laughs> and Soriano able to knew he was
1: going left anyway, too. He tried to force him right.
0: He was so strong that way. Soriano finished with a quiet double-double. I don't know if anybody saw he's the, a monster. the um, graphic. He leads the NCAA in double-doubles, which is pr- pretty wild and impressive, but such a strong performance from Dixon we've been looking for this uh loud performance I was going to say breakout we already know that Eric Dixon has broken out but this loud 18 points six rebounds feeding him down low and him finishing almost every time performance and that's what I love watching and then being able to kick out to scores outside that's the old Villanova basketball that we've only seen glimpses of and it seems like it's fully fully in its groove now
1: yeah, it, it's definitely getting there. I still want to see some more movement on offense. Uh, it, it, things can get static, especially you know being there. It gives you a really good view of, of the whole floor, and I, that does stand out to me still. But I'm not taking negatives uh, out of this one. Um, you know, you talk about Soriano; he was phenomenal out there for St. John's, and he's just such a good player. You mentioned it, seventeen and thirteen to go with the four blocks, by the way, which mm-hmm. is just just shows the the monstrous presence he has underneath the basket and. key for us that we discussed was how that rebounding margin was going to turn out. And while Soriano grabbed his boards, I don't think anyone's going to be able to stop Joel Soriano from grabbing boards. He he finished with 13, which is right around his, uh, season average, uh, Villanova only got out rebounded by four in this game, which I I think that's a pretty nice step forward for them. Uh, I did think Dixon did a very nice job, uh, controlling the paint, the paint and not getting overrun, By uh, by Soriano, Caleb Daniels continues to be just a really solid rebounding guard. And Cam Whitmore, someone we how far into this and we haven't even touched on Cam struggled, you know, the the last two games. I I don't think there's any two ways about that, but what you can tell is even when he struggles on the offensive side of the ball, even when he turns it over, which he certainly has a little bit of a turnover bug uh, with, with how he pushes things. He is so advanced rebounding-wise with that frame and how he uses it that he just skies up there and rips some boards down. And they were really important and impressive rebounds. So though this, again, was not a great game for Cam Whitmore, I I do not look past the 10 rebounds and say, ah he just added some stats there. They were some really contested boards and was a huge part of why Nova only lost that rebounding battle
0: by four. Yeah, and that was a really important battle, too, against some tough bodies that St. John's has down low. So I totally agree with you. Still 5-0 in the Cam Whitmore era. I think you can live with the turnovers if it means that he's still willing to take those drives and try and put it up. Um, Of course, we see him forcing some shots, especially towards the beginning of the game. But you assume that that's something that's just going to continue to grow and develop as he gets more and more minutes under his belt. It's encouraging to see other players step up when he doesn't have the type of games that he had against Oklahoma, Penn, BC, etc something I don't think we've talked about too much and something that Villanova is missing so severely is how well old Villanova guards used to rebound like Moore mm. and Gillespie were at times some of the best rebounders in the past few years and honestly Chris Arch has been too in this game I guess I'll count Slater Slater had four Armstrong had five Arch had three Caleb had seven and Whitmore had 10. And that's not even taking into account the big man, Dixon, six rebounds. So just a really complete defensive effort from every single player who saw the court.
1: Yeah, Villanova as we know, usually doesn't play with that traditional big and how they make up for it in the rebounding size is having wings that can do it, a la Jermaine Samuels, who was one mm-hmm. of the best rebounders to come through uh, the main line over the last couple of years, and guards that are really above average uh, at doing it, and able to use their frame and really understand how how to use their bodies underneath the basket to, uh, to be able to box out their opponents. So I, I think you're seeing a little bit more of that. Arch is a pretty solid rebounder. Um, for, For a point guard, we know Caleb Daniels can be a monster in there. I'm interested to see how Mark Armstrong kind of develops because his body at first doesn't look like the type that can really, you know, mash underneath the hoop. But we know he's such a freak athletically. And we saw it again today where I don't put it past him of Armstrong turning into one of the better rebounding guards as he continues his development.
0: Yeah, he's definitely tougher than he looks on the surface.
1: That's a New Jersey guard. That's a oh it's, yeah. It's, he's gonna, I, you know, it. he needs I, some
0: Gus Johnson calls.
1: <laughs> He'll get him. The he Jersey will. Guy. Um, so but I'm pumped.
0: I'm gonna repeat this just for dramatic effect. The way Dixon played against Soriano makes me confident, and actually, the, the way Villanova played, that Villanova can compete if not play better than UConn on Wednesday night. How do you feel about that? Okay.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> i know I, I listen going into that game eric dixon i have all the faith in is going to be very solid it is everything else that goes into it because yukon as great as Sonogo is and Klingon is most certainly making an impact they get contributions up and down that um that roster and uh, they are so impressive um i yeah, I, I can't say I feel great going into Wednesday at stores, just understanding how brutal of a game is. I actually think Georgetown making it a close call is worse for Villanova <laughs> because it was a bit of a wake-up call that, you know, UConn just played one of the worst teams, you know, a team that hasn't won a Big East game in what, 22 tries I think now um, is the losing streak, and they were down for for a good portion of that game. So I do not think the Huskies are going to be overlooking it. They still 100% remember that Big East semifinal where Villanova came away with the win when I think a lot of UConn fans thought that that was going to be it for him and this was their return to the garden and all that crap uh, before Villanova took him out. So I, I firmly expect a pretty strong reaction from UConn. And there's, listen, there's a reason they're number two in the country. They are a very strong Husky team. So as positive as I am about Villanova coming out of this game, next week is a very, very tall task.
0: Tell us how you really feel, Pat. Man. Or I, you know I'm always honest. You know I am, so I got to do it. No, that. it's good. So UConn is much more proven than than St. John's was coming into this matchup. UConn has wins over Alabama and Iowa State and Florida and Oklahoma State, etc. But I was surprised by how good Villanova looked besides the first 10 minutes of this game. Mm-hmm. And that makes me much more optimistic about how this team can fare against UConn, like you said they have a lot more depth there are a lot more complete in terms of production from every single guy that they seem to have on that roster even though we thought it would be pretty depleted after the loss of a bunch of really solid players from last year so it'll be interesting another like totally different game plan totally different coaching styles different stars I'm, I'm super excited to see but I just feel really, really good about the steps this team is making, how they're able to win without Cam playing as well as we know he can play, and just different guys stepping up when they needed to. Imagine if we can get this type of effort from Longino every single time. Mm -hmm. Imagine if Armstrong continues to make leaps, and his shooting efficiency gets even higher. There's just so much untapped potential here.
1: Well, I think the show would be sky high next week. If Villanova finds a way to to go to stores and and win that game, I just think it's a a very, very tall task uh, for them to, to be able to do so. But Hey, as you said there, there, we had the episode trending upwards. And after this game, I, I think it's impossible to say that they're not Uh, think things are getting better. Things are developing. They look tighter on defense. They're figuring things out on offense uh, Caleb Daniels avoided an injury scare, we think, at least yeah. where, where he checked back into the game and and finished out the game as well. So it's now a week in between games um, here to, to get ready for UConn. And it's uh it, listen, we're in biggie's play. It's here.
0: Another really strong performance from Slater, too. 19, I believe it was against St. Joe's, and then 16 tonight against St. John's. So that's huge. And then I don't know if you saw something differently. So this is actually really helpful that you were there. I thought Daniels rolled his ankle and Raft mentioned his hamstring. So what did you think it was when you saw it?
1: So it happened on the other side of the floor from me. So all I saw was Caleb Daniels basically go down and what looked like non-contact, which mm-hmm. of course, I think all ovens are scarred from Justin Moore just, you know, what, nine months ago or so. So I was very, very nervous. Um, when it happened, but then seeing Caleb kind of walk around on the bench, he went straight to the bike rather than having that leg get elevated, which made you feel a little better that, okay, maybe it's not incredibly serious that they're immediately sending him out for tests. He was in the huddles uh during tv timeouts just stretching it and flexing it a little bit and then of course he came and checked back in so when it first happened uh i'll be honest with you i was absolutely terrified right. uh but w- with how things progress and of course him you know checking in and clocking some more minutes I-, I think you feel good about avoiding uh the worst
0: yeah how can you not be terrified when you see that it looked like some sort of hyper extension rolling pulling muscle type of thing so Hopefully that turns out to be a non-entity and him clocking back in is it was, it was enough reassurance that we need. I, I totally agree. So, yeah, just I, I I really didn't think this episode would be as positive as it was. So I'm so now excited. We're feeling good. We're feeling yeah. that's a, that
1: is a big win, Nova Nation. You should feel good here listening to this on December 22nd. That is the obviously the first Big East game of the season for Villanova. We know there have been struggles early in the season. They had a good team come in in St. John's and they whipped them. In the second half, they they really did so. Not nah, feel good about this going into the holidays.
0: Yeah, it's a huge statement win to start conference play, in a really tough start to conference play too. Because next two are not any easier. Yeah, it will not <laughs> get any easier. So just a really good way to start conference and get the buzz back about the cats. Feels get good. The people cu- talking about the cats again.
1: Feels really good. That that was a big win, uh, as you said. It's all all good energy here uh, going into uh, this weekend.
0: Speaking of good energy, we have some mailbag questions, which I am excited about.
1: Oh, you know we have some mailbag questions. So we can start things off. We had questions come in from uh, this question from a couple of different people. Uh, Harry asked it. Matt asked it. We may have even had one more as well. Basically, you know, Matt frames it as, what do you think about the lack of information around Justin Moore? Does it mean they don't know a timeline? Are they keeping it close to the vest? And you know, do, how early do you project him coming back?
0: You can take this one first because I was going to mention what you said to me before we were we, we started here.
1: Yeah, that certainly. So for the lack of information for Justin Moore, I actually think that's pretty on brand uh, for for what we normally hear from Villanova. So it doesn't concern me that we're not hearing much uh, about it there. I actually think it's a bit of both that. There is not a firm timeline for when he comes back. They are going to try and play this thing slow and be careful with it. Uh, but I think they also have, you know, a range of dates in mind for for when they think he could potentially make that return. Now, the you know, the next question was, do, do we think he plays against UConn? I would be floored if he is on the floor in a week here. I still think your best case scenario is mid-January, but February is... Is likely as well or possible. I don't want to call anything likely here. And then <laughs> the cherry on top is who knows? It's an Achilles injury, as you've heard right. me say many times. But that's kind of how I lean into the information we have so far.
0: I think you you nailed it when you said that people got really excited about Biggie's play starting, Think that thinking that was kind of turning the calendar and Justin Moore would be fully healthy by then. I think we all have to keep in mind that it's still less than a year since this injury happened. And I think if there ha- has been one thing we've heard from Neptune and the rest of the team, it's that Moore's progressing faster than anybody expected, but it is still less than a year for an Achilles tear. Mm-hmm. So I-, I think we'll probably be surprised and all of a sudden he'll just be available on a minutes restriction. Yep. But I still don't think that is coming in the very near future.
1: I, yes, I would have some cautious optimism for, yeah. for when we see him back, but also layered in with, if and when he does come back, you're starting to feel better about this team, and now you add in a, a guy that it would be in the running for Big East Player of the Year had he played a full season. So,
0: 100, yeah.
1: Hey, we're gonna try and make people feel good on uh, on this episode. Um, from John Palme, who is the biggest surprise in the Big East so far? Creighton, UConn, or Marquette, and why?
0: This is a really a really good question. Uh, really good question. Each team has had its bumps so far in the Big East. Creighton started off so hot. They lost six in a row. Marquette has some really good wins. They also have a few tough losses. UConn is the one team that has just been flying high for the entirety of the season. So Mm -hmm. I think that is my answer as much as I like Marquette. And even Butler's been a surprise team this year. They've racked up some good wins Xavier's been good, and I think they're just about to hit their stride in Big East play. But UConn, again, I couldn't emphasize enough in our Big East preview how depleted they were after losing all of their players from last year. And they've come out this year heads and shoulders better than they were last year. So it's a culmination of everything Danny Hurley has been trying to do for the last however many seasons he's been there. They scare the hell out of me. They're hmm. so complete. They can do so many different things well. And I think right now, Sonogo is probably your front runner for National Player of the Year.
1: Oh, uh, Zach Edey says hello. Um, True at, at Purdue, he's just. True. I mean, he's a automatic double double, but Sonogo will be up there well, yeah. 100 percent. Um, I. I like what what you're saying about UConn there and UConn most certainly goes in the conversation because I also was unsure of how this Huskies team would look with with the players that they lost, but there was still talent there and there was still Danny Hurley there. Mm -hmm. Marquette for me is my biggest surprise because I looked at this team. I said, Justin Lewis is gone. He really carried them offensively. How much talent is really there uh, with him gone? And Marquette just runs out. And yes, they lost a brutal game to, to Providence in double overtime. I shouldn't say a brutal game. It was a lot of fun to watch that game, actually. 100
0: points. <laughs>
1: yeah. I had a great time watching that game on Tuesday night. Um, but for them to be sitting at nine and four right now in a team that looks very dangerous, going to be a tough game for, for the Cats at the Pavilion on, on New Year's Eve. Tyler Kolak has been. Awesome uh, as a point guard, continues to be one of the top distributors in the country. Cam Jones continues to to take strides forward. Igodaro can run the floor, we know as a big. So it is shaka. It's just, it's it's what he does. And uh, I really like this Marquette team. I did not think I was gonna like this Marquette team. And for me, they're they're the biggest surprise there.
0: They take those preseason punches and they wear them like a crown. Oh, yes. I mean, do. it is insane how underrated this team has been every single year that shaka has been there it's crazy they they just continue to overachieve and they had a huge loss with justin lewis and daryl Marcel. and they rebounded even better
1: he's gonna keep building that program it's still very early on for shaka smart and yeah. i think as a as a marquette fan you gotta feel good totally from the man himself mike down what's your christmas dinner
0: so it's funny i don't thanksgiving is my favorite holiday So I am super into the food on Thanksgiving, obviously. Mm -hmm. Christmas isn't remembered in my mind. Be careful
1: with the next words out of your mouth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It isn't remembered in my mind by the food that we eat. So I think we have ham usually, right? Is that usually the Christmas dinner?
1: yeah i think we usually go with ham too yeah uh, for, for my family we do a lot of appetizers as well kind of throughout the day um pick on some stuff there uh obviously they're now there's sports on just all day mm-hmm. on on christmas which i'm never gonna say no to so uh it, it, it's a good day there but yeah i, I agree for me it's usually like a, some sort of ham dinner which is always very
0: good yeah obviously not as memorable to me as thanksgiving but I love some
1: Christmas dinner. So don't don't worry, Nova Nation, I got you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then our last questions come in from our man, Jerry Quinn. Three questions from him. For us to go two wins out of the next three games, who needs to raise their game to get this done? Now, Jerry sent this in before the St. John's game. So we are already one for three.
0: Oh, excellent. Okay, yeah. I was going to say against Georgetown, I'm not sure. (laughs) St. John's, UConn, Marquette. We've talked ad nauseum about how important these games are and how much of a statement it would be if... Villanova can compete or win Um, I'm actually gonna go with Caleb Daniels here because I think it's been clear that Eric Dixon continues to elevate his game every single night Caleb Daniels though if he can put up a 20 plus point performance I think this bring this that brings this team to the next level he has consistently been putting up 13, 15, 17s. But when he really gets going, and I do think Marquette and UConn will probably come down to one possession games. If he can step up and make that shot and have a generally good shooting night, that just makes this team so much more dangerous.
1: Well, you really feel good about that UConn game. I say hats off to you um, mm. for, for next week there. Uh, I, I like Caleb and yeah, it's very important to cut down on the turnovers too. I know he had four tonight uh, for Definitely. me. You keep giving me this version of Brandon Slater yeah. that we got against St. Joe's and against St. John's here, and I'm feeling very, very good about what this team can do on, on both sides of the ball with him being able to stretch the floor with threes, get in the lane, get to the free throw line, which he is an ace now for, from the foul line. The guy barely misses at this point, point. we know how much of a disruptor he can be on defense.
0: I like that. I'm nice. cautiously optimistic about his offensive progression.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't jump all in on it because we yeah. know that he can disappear at, at, for periods. Um, but we also know that it's in there, which I think is what can also make it so frustrating. Yeah, it's and like, he's
0: healthy. Yeah. All, all signs point to him being fully healthy. And that was his biggest issue last year when he got really hot and then he fell off. So hopefully he just continues to build on that.
1: What is the number of games projected before Matty Siegris becomes the leading point scorer for Villanova basketball?
0: So this is great and something we should be discussing more, actually. Maddie Segrist is on the way to becoming the all-time Villanova women's basketball points leader. She's currently at 2,148 points <laughs> Crazy. in her three-and-a-half-year career. And she'll probably take her fifth year, you think?
1: It's very possible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wonder what the WNBA draft looks like, or if that's something that's interesting to her. I think she w- would get drafted. I hope she does. That would be freaking awesome. But what is the uh, the all-time points? You said somewhere around 2,400?
1: It is 2,408 by Shelly Pennefather.
0: I was just going to say Shelly, who is a numb now. Yes. If anybody hasn't heard this story, Google it, because it is awesome, Shelly Pennefather. I mean, at, at the rate that she is going at, she averages almost 23. Or no, I'm sorry, 23 in her career, 28 in her senior year. You'd think it'd be what, like... Less next than 10 game, more games
1: yeah, probably next game she'll just she'll just score 300 what a
0: stud
1: <laughs> no Maddie I, we've said it before but if you have not gone to see this Villanova women's team first off you should go to support the cats anyway but second off just to see Maddie Segrist play basketball for Villanova is a real treat like she she goes down as one of the most legendary basketball players this school has ever had men's or women's I, I mm-hmm. do not care which one because to to the point here as well she is not only on pace to break the, the women's record, but she would also break the men's record because Carrie Kittles has 2,200 points. So, and she's almost there already. Kittles at twenty two four three, uh, and Scotty Reynolds has two, 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 two. I probably said too many twos there, but 2,222 points. So she's right around those two Nova men's legends. Um, as well. She's going to do it. She's going to do it probably sooner rather than later. And uh it's awesome. I, I love watching Maddie Seagras play basketball. So she should be do. in
0: the she should be in the national player of the year conversation, to be honest. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up that point because we have done or we did some awesome Villanova basketball things when we were there. The radio and the men's team and the Kansas game is a game that sticks out in my mind as being awesome. Interviewing Maddie Seagras is still one of the coolest things I've done in sports. When you yeah. just think about how much she has impacted the Villanova women's program and then nationally, how much buzz she's getting. It is really cool. And if you don't already follow Megan Mordart on Twitter, she covers the women's basketball team for the Villanova in the school newspaper. And she's been doing a really good job of drawing up the, the hype for the women's team this year because they, under Denise Dillon, have made huge strides from a national scale. And hopefully this year they can make a deep run in the tournament.
1: Denise Dillon is a stud and yeah. uh, I, I feel so great with that program uh, being in her hands and love the shout out to the villain oven too. Always want to get got those on-campus groups. Hello, Michael Bradley. Um, <laughs> and then last question to close us out here from Jerry, what is your family tradition for Christmas Eve?
0: You take this one first.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I love Christmas Eve. Uh, one of my favorite days of the year. It, what we really do um, is we we go we have a nice Italian dinner at some point, uh, us uh, German and Irish uh, family as mine is. We have an Italian dinner. It's very, naturally. very yeah, yeah naturally, very, very good. Uh, we always go to mass. Um, and then, honestly, it usually turns into a movie night for us. Um, hmm. Elf is required watching on Christmas Eve for us. I can't tell you how many years in a row we have watched Elf together. Uh, Christmas Story usually finds a way in there. Um, and then I absolutely love "It's a Wonderful Life," um, and, and always try to make sure that that I can pop that one too. So, uh, some good food and uh, some great movies to uh, to lead us into Christmas Day, as usual. Love that.
0: Ours. ours is we open. We all get to open one present, just one, and my uh, okay. mom usually picks it out if she can remember what's in different <laughs> things. <laughs> but we all open one, and then we all just wish we could open the rest of them. But we we got we get one. And then we save the rest for the morning. And we usually go to bed pretty pretty early, the whole group of us, because we just want it to be morning so badly.
1: I, I get it. I mean, who doesn't? It's Christmas morning.
0: Yeah. But it's coming up quickly. I mean, the next time we record, you know, cats out of the bag, we, we will not be recording on Christmas. Uh, so we will be off that Tuesday. The next time we speak to you will be after Christmas. So hopefully everybody has a safe and healthy holiday. Gets some nice time off, gets to watch Villanova basketball next week. We're in a really good stretch. A lot of good sports too. NFL's heating up. Oh, I'm so excited.
1: Yeah, it, it's a really good time of year. Um, so I we are we're pumped that Villanova came away with the win here against St. John's and uh should be a really good week leading into the next one against UConn.
0: Maybe our happiest podcast ever, Pat.
1: Yeah, this was a good one. Came Stop away there. feeling pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So we, we are in a good mood, but all right, that'll do it for us here on the state of the Nova nation presented by VU hoops. Be sure to check out viewhoops.com for plenty of content all season long. Follow us on Twitter at S O N N pod subscribe to the show on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. Everybody, no matter what you celebrate, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. Hope you have a phenomenal holiday season. As Emma said, we will be back at it later next week after the UConn game and Nova Nation. That's a wrap.